Let's have a word of prayer, shall we? Almighty God, we thank you for the gift of this day. I know we say that a lot, but we mean it, Lord, that you have given us this life and this place with these people. You have given us all the gifts of your heart and your love, your inspiration and your guidance. You have given us a, a piece of the joy uh, that was in your heart. You have given us yourself and your son, Jesus. You've given us to each other so that we can encourage each other, so that we can correct each other, so that we can spur each other on to good works, so that we can help each other as we walk along this pathway behind Jesus of walking into the blessed beauty and joy and power and healing and forgiveness of your kingdom. Help us to remember all of those things now as we open your word and as we hear from one who also knew you intimately in his life and as we learn from his experience and especially from the inspiration that you gave to him for the sake of the world. We pray all of these things in the confidence that you hear us and answer us because we know you love us. We know that because of Jesus. Amen. Okie dokie. I don't know how you guys start your prayers. Um, I often start my prayers trying to figure out, and it's sort of a, it's an age-old thing, to start with thinking about God in your prayers, right? An awful lot of my prayers start with, God, I need you to do fill in the blank, okay? And that's okay. I think God's okay with that. But uh, often those prayers come about when it's all of a sudden pops up that, God, we need this. And that's okay. Um, but when we have a moment to step back and say, what are we going to talk about first? We always should talk about God first. So just a little, that's a freebie. You get that for free, okay? <laughs> you all already know this, actually. Let's talk some more about Micah. Are you enjoying Micah? Yeah, yeah. Micah, uh, in a way, I'm glad that Micah's a fairly brief book because he hits really, really hard the whole time, doesn't relax, doesn't let up very much. Uh, and he's very laser focused on a particular set of issues and questions. And, uh, and that's fantastic, actually. So let's just remember very quickly that uh, Micah is called one of the minor prophets, minor only in the sense that he uh, did, um, we have only a brief amount of the material uh, that he preached and that he taught. And maybe he didn't have that much to say, but what he said was quite a lot, right? Uh, when, when Micah speaks, people listen. Um, he prophesied during uh, the time roughly from about 750 to maybe 680 before Jesus. That's a pretty long span of time. Maybe it was a little bit shorter in there. But we know that during that time, the northern part of Israel was being attacked and eventually mostly destroyed by the Assyrian Empire. Some of that fighting, some of that stress was also being felt in the southern part of Israel and the, the area called Judah, uh, which included Jerusalem. And so Micah was watching uh, things disintegrate around him and, and he was talking about the Lord's message to the people during that time. That's always important for us to remember the context in which uh, any uh, passage of Scripture is speaking to us. And so um, Micah is talking about all the things that in polite society we're not supposed to talk about, right? How many of you learn, you know, if you're going to go have a nice dinner table conversation, there's two things you don't talk about, right? Politics and religion, okay? That's what Micah's going to talk about. Um, and I, I have become fond of saying the only two things worth talking about 
our politics and religion. I don't really care who the bachelor is going to pick. That's a whole nother story. <laughs> so let's start reading. Let's just start reading and dive into this. And let me remind you that you're gonna have a chance as, as you want to, to ask questions, to make comments. So if something's formulating in your mind, be thinking about that and be ready to come down. Okay, Micah chapter three, verses one through four is what we'll start with. And I said, listen, you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, should you not know justice? You who hate the good and love the evil, who tear the skin off my people and the flesh off their bones, who eat the flesh of my people, flay their skin off them, break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a kettle, like flesh in a cauldron. Then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at that time because they have acted wickedly. Okay, this is not bedtime reading stuff to your five-year-old when they're getting ready to say their nightly prayers, right? This is adult stuff. This is adult stuff. Micah is speaking directly to the political leaders, if you will, the rulers of Israel. That's where his focus is right now. And he is speaking God's word to them. Remember, sometimes we hear Micah's voice in a sense. It's like Micah speaking, but when Micah speaks, it's God speaking. Sometimes we have the sense that it's God speaking. This is God speaking, his word of judgment, his word of, of uh, truth maybe is a good way to say it, about what is going on in Israel. Let's start to take that apart, though, because there are some hugely, hugely important theological concepts that are touched on here. And don't let that word theological concept, don't let that put you off. This is deep truth. This is important stuff. So Micah speaking to the rulers of the house of Israel, and he asks a question. Should you not know justice? Here's another way we could state the question. Don't you know anything about justice at all? We could substitute a word for the word justice and be equally correct in our translation from an English perspective. And we could say, don't you know anything about righteousness at all? So let's talk about justice and righteousness for a minute, okay? You see those words all the time in scripture, especially in the words of the Old Testament prophets. I want to talk about those two words because in the, the English language, as we think about them, we think of them as perhaps two different kinds of things. If I say to you, define for me or talk to me about what the word justice implies, what might that say to you? Think about that a second. I think most people when you say the word justice, they go automatically to thinking about the criminal justice system, okay? We're not talking about The Bachelor now, we're talking about Judge Judy. No, that was a bad example. Let's just not go there. <laughs> I don't mean to pick on them. Yeah, probably I do. When we think of justice, we think of injustice and justice. Something is wrong, it needs to be righted. A crime has been committed, 
and somebody needs to be held accountable for it. That's what our criminal justice system is all about, okay? Justice. If justice is not done, then somebody gets hurt and nobody pays for it. That's what justice kind of implies to us. Am I, am I, am I fair in saying that? Is that kind of what goes on in your minds? If something else goes on in your minds, I'd like to know about it. Okay, okay, yes, justice is being fairness and everybody's treated the same. Okay, good for you, good for you, because that is very much part of what biblical justice is all about. The, the two Hebrew words, uh, tzedek and mishpat, I think, are the words, but, but don't quote me on that, okay? Um, they want to talk about justice as everything is fair and equal and everybody's on the same playing ground, so to speak, and everything is the way it's supposed to be, okay? Um, when we think of righteousness, I'm going to put all this together, but thank you for that comment. When we think of righteousness, what do we think about? We think of the righteous brothers. We think of, we think of righteousness is more of a religious sounding word, isn't it? Right? If you're righteous, it means you're holy. It means you pray a lot. It means you've got a halo thing going on. What, whatever righteousness is. Well, righteousness and justice in the Old Testament and in the New Testament really are pretty much the same thing. And let's start the conversation this way. God made everything. He made it to work in a particular way. He made it so that everybody was loved. Everybody was treated equally, fairly. Nobody was above anybody else. Nobody was below anybody else. Everybody had everything that they needed. That's the Garden of Eden. You have everything that you need in abundance. Everybody has everything. Life is as exactly as it should be for everybody. That is something of an expression of God's righteousness. When something is righteous, that means it is the way it is meant to be. When something is just, that means it is the way it is meant to be. And so justice is when the situation occurs where everything is happening the way it's supposed to happen. Righteousness is when you are living the way you are supposed to live, in the way that works for everybody. And I, and I talk about the way that works because anything less than righteousness or justice doesn't work for somebody. And ultimately, it doesn't work for everybody. Let's take it down to just two people, okay? I like to boil things down in relationships. Two people. Let's say in a relationship between two people, one of the two always gets a little bit more. One always has the edge. One always gets their way. And the other makes up for the difference in that. The other one doesn't always get what they need. The other is sometimes put down. Okay? Now, we look at the one who's in the disadvantaged position and say that person is suffering from injustice. And that's true. It is also true, though, that the other person is suffering from injustice because we were not made to be above anybody else or to have more than anybody else, okay? We were made so that everybody has all that they need. And so injustice or unrighteousness in societies, beginning with a relationship just between two people, when things are, are unequal and off, it hurts both people. Does that make sense to you? Okay, so you expand that out then to include whole communities or whole nations or even the entire human community in the world. And whenever one piece of the world uh, is, is in a position 
uh, uh, where they're getting more than their fair share, if you will, where, uh, then, then, and, and some are not getting their fair share, the system doesn't work. The system either is going to work for everybody or it doesn't work for everybody. It's win-win. Okay, it's not win-lose, it's win-win. Now, I'm not talking, I, we have to be careful when we speak in that way, and I want to acknowledge that. You know, some people do have more than other people. Maybe they work harder, maybe they save harder, maybe they use less. Uh, some people tend to have more power than other people. We give power to certain people and other people don't have. So there are all kinds of ways in, in which there are imbalances in society that are part of the way society works. But things can, can become too imbalanced where it doesn't work for anybody and ultimately destroys everybody. That's part of the message of what the, of what the, uh, the prophets want to talk about. When Micah says to the leader of Israel, it says, you don't know anything about how to create a society that's working for everybody. That's what injustice is and unrighteousness is. He says, you don't know about that. You obviously either don't know or you're not interested and you're clearly working against that. And then he has a very graphic way of speaking about what the result of that is. Okay? Look at the result of what happens when the leaders do not lead the people toward social righteousness, relational righteousness, or justice, right? You hate good, you love evil. You tear the skin off of people. You tear the flesh off their bones. You eat them, you break them, you chop them up. You boil them like flesh in a cauldron. I do not want that in my future. Do you want that in your future? We might think that Micah is speaking figuratively here or poetically here or in an exaggerated way in order to get the people's attention and to get the leader's attention. But in fact, Micah was describing what would sometimes literally happen to people when there was warfare between nations, between tribes. I've been reading uh, a book uh, that's ca it's called a bi Biography of Jerusalem. The title of the book is just Jerusalem. Some of you have, may have read that. It came out many years ago. It's about, I don't know, 700 pages long. You can read it in a night uh, times 800. I don't know. It's, it's really dense. It's really thick. But in those days, um, as sometimes in these days, when things are so wrong in human society that you have warfare going on, you literally do have people whose bodies are being hacked up, people who are being crucified, people who are being raped, people who are being enslaved, people who are being burned alive. Now, I don't want to, I sound like a Quentin Tarantino movie here, I know that. <laughs> but that's the ultimate destruction of human society is when our very bodies are simply destroyed. And Micah speaks in very graphic ways because that is what would happen in 7th century, 8th century warfare, and that is still what happens today. I have a great appreciator uh, and supporter of, of the United States military, and I, I believe me, I understand why it is sometimes that nations go to war and sometimes why we use violence. But we have, to, we have to say there is no other truth that, that, that applies in this situation. We have to say that when, it, when society gets to the point of killing people, that we have failed somehow. Period. Period. The, the need, the necessity, the desire to wipe out other people, to do to people what Micah describes here, or anything like that,
is an absolute failure of human society and human relationships. It is a failure to achieve the justice and the righteousness and the wholeness and the goodness and the beauty and the peace and the love that God intends. Do we have to do that sometimes? I would never be one to say that we should not have gone to war against Adolf Hitler. We had to, but it's still a failure. You see what I'm saying? So Micah is taking the leaders to task because what they are doing is destroying people. And he's watching that in his own lifetime. He's watching that as the Assyrian Empire comes and attacks cities and villages and towns and is wiping out the northern kingdom. They're also attacking the southern kingdom. The southern kingdom will last for a couple hundred years longer, but then it will eventually go away as well. Micah's attacking the leaders of Israel. Here's another interesting question. In most of human history, in most nations of the world, the power to make things happen for ill or for good has resided with just a few people, okay? In Micah's time, uh, the kings of Israel, the rulers of the priestly class were the ones who made the decisions. And the vast majority of people simply had to put up with whatever was decided. There was no route that they would have to change their leadership other than to raise an army and go fight a battle against the other guy's army and uh, either win or lose. If you won, you killed that king. If you lost, you got killed. That's the way it worked, pretty much. And so when we look at the first century situation and there's such an anger, such angst, um, seventh century situation, eighth century situation, and then even the first century situation too is still the same. You're, you're hearing people who pretty much are powerless to do anything about who their leaders are. I highlight that for us because we live in modern Western democracy in a different situation. Theoretically, we have the power to change who our leaders are. Okay? I say theoretically because we understand one vote against 170 million is not that much, but still it's one vote, right? And collectively we have that power. So we have to understand the powerlessness that people felt against their leaders and the, and the cry for justice, the cry for righteousness, the cry for, for competent, wise, kind, good leaders. And of course we cry for the same thing today, don't we? Don't we? Let's go on. Let's keep reading Micah, verses 5 through 8. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray. We were talking about the leaders now, the political leaders, if you will, is a way we could divide that out. Now we're going to talk about the religious leaders concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against those who put nothing into their mouths. Therefore, it shall be night to you without vision and darkness to you without revelation. The sun shall go down upon the prophets and the day shall be black over them. The seers shall be disgraced and the diviners put to shame. They shall all cover their lips for there is no answer from God. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his his sin. 
Okay, now Micah is taking on the religious leaders of Israel. And again, let's set the context because it's different from our own, okay? We ostensibly live now uh, and, and have lived from the beginning pretty much in, in the United States of America and in most modern Western democracies in a, in, a, in a context where religious leaders lead in religion, but religion and politics don't necessarily ever mix together and religious leaders do not have the same uh, in any particular political power. Now, that's an overstatement. We understand there's all kinds of nuance and complexity to what I just said. But in, in Israel, as in most ancient societies, the religious leaders, the priests of the gods, the prophets of the gods, those who said they had a connection with the divine, they were, they were part and parcel of the political leadership. The priests of Israel especially, who were those who spoke for Yahweh, the one true God, they had huge power and huge sway in what went on in society and often over the political leaders. And in some sense, in Israel's history, the political leaders were also the religious leaders. They were one and the same thing. The king was supposed to be someone who, who was anointed and blessed by God and listened to what God had to say. And he had all these prophets and priests and scribes, the seers, the diviners who were part of the, the temple complex and part of the entourage. And anytime the king would sit with his generals and say, I plan to go attack Sennacherib or Nebuchadnezzar or whoever, he would go as well, not just to his generals, but he would go to his priests and his prophets and say, is this what God wants? Is this blessed by God? And if the king is your boss and your employer and he feeds you, right? He puts something in your mouth. He gives you something to eat and you say, yes, king, whatever you want is what God wants. Is that the truth? No, no. Micah says that they are blind. The sun is not shining upon them. They have no concept of what God really is about and what God wants. He says that he does. Look at that. This is a pretty proud statement here. As for me, I am filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord, with justice and might. This is a very sharp distinction between the official court religion and those who promote it and what Micah would say is the true religion of the worship of the God of the fathers of Yahweh and not just worship but a whole way of approaching life a whole way of understanding what life is all about and so Micah is taking on the political leaders. He's taking on the religious leaders. Remember that you, we looked at this a couple weeks ago. Micah grew up in the little town of Morasheth, one of the one of the little cities that were or little towns really built around Jerusalem, meant to be the buffer. I.e., they were the first people to get wiped out by by invading armies. And, and so Micah really is just kind of uh, the context he grows up in. He's meant to be cannon fodder in order to protect the elites in Jerusalem. And so he looks at the elites in Jerusalem and says, you guys are, you're completely corrupt. You're completely off base. You're completely misguided. Now, where in modern society do we have that? That's something we'll need to ask ourselves. Is Micah talking only about what's going on in the, in the eighth century before Christ in Israel? Is he talking about a much bigger thing, right? So let's keep on going, verses 9 through 12. And then I want to take your comments and some of your questions. 
Hear this, you rulers of the house of Jacob and chiefs of the house of Israel, who abhor justice and pervert all equity, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with wrong. Its rulers give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets give oracles for money. Yet they lean upon the Lord and say, surely the Lord is with us. No harm shall come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins and the mountain of the house a wooded height. There again, Micah is speaking in figurative terms and also in very, very literal terms. When a conquering army would come into a territory, sometimes they would leave it fairly intact and take the people out of it and put their own people into it and keep it running, but oftentimes they would simply destroy it. Okay, Zion shall be plowed as a field, yeah. Formerly habitable places would be completely, utterly destroyed. I uh, was just reading last night in this book about Jerusalem that shows a, there's a picture of a big, huge heap of huge stones, building blocks, that the Roman soldiers uh, that was formerly part of the temple, and, and when Rome invaded many hundreds of years after Micah's time, they just pushed all the stones off. They literally deconstructed the buildings. They destroyed the buildings. Now we think today of, you know, bombs and of course nuclear bombs that just obliterate, vaporize buildings. That's the way you did it in the first century. Cities are literally torn down. And then over time they're rebuilt and torn down and rebuilt and torn down and rebuilt. And that's why archaeologists have jobs, <laughs> is to, to research all that and to dig into all that and find out what all that is. That's what is happening to the northern kingdom. The capital right, in Samaria is ultimately going to be destroyed to the northern kingdom. Eventually, Jerusalem will be destroyed. It'll be rebuilt and destroyed again many different times over. That's part of the story of human history. But notice what the source of all that is as far as Micah's concerned. And again, this is God's voice speaking. The source of it is not just that the kings were, didn't have a strong enough army or smart enough generals. It's, what the, it's that deep down inside, they were spiritually bankrupt, spiritually corrupt. In some sense, you can say, in a very strong sense actually, that what all the Old Testament prophets saw was that the troubles of Israel, the troubles of the nation, began when they turned away from the source of their life, who was the one true God. Michael will talk in other places about, about how the leaders of Israel, who are supposed to be leading Israel and following the one true God. The prophets of Israel, the teachers of Israel, who are supposed to be following the one true God, they've gone off to other gods, or they've ignored God, or they have twisted and perverted the message that God actually had for the people and said, God says this, the scriptures say this. No, that's not what they say. That's not what God says. The Old Testament prophets saw all of that spiritual decay as the source of all the other problems in the nation. Now, we know we have to talk about the larger biblical message that sometimes when you are walking in perfect lockstep with God and living the perfectly righteous life, the perfectly just life, that you still encounter trouble. You still encounter tribulation. 
And so the prophets would never say that as long as we're holy and righteous, we're going to be the strongest nation on the block. That's one side of the question, though. That's one side of the equation. Yes, be strong and righteous in your ways, and you will be a stronger nation. But sometimes even when you're perfect, it doesn't go well. And as the best example of that from the Old Testament, I hold up before you Job, right? Job lived the perfect life, but that didn't prevent him from experiencing trial and tribulation. There's a bigger story going on that that life that we live with God carries us through the trial and tribulation. But from the Old Testament prophet's side, when the nation is falling apart, they look at the nation and say, we have completely lost our way and it has begun with our spiritual blindness and deafness. And the evidence of that is that we are not living righteously with justice. Now remember, in other parts of Micah, we're going to hear how that actually played itself out. Not just that the kings and the prophets were delusional or completely self-serving and greedy and taking all the money to try to build up their palaces and, and their temples in Jerusalem is that they were perverting justice with all the rest of the people. They were collecting way too much in tax. They didn't care about the classic language, the orphans and the widows and the foreigners. The masses of people were not being cared for. It was all about the power of the few elites. Anyhow, let me stop there because I can go on and on with this for a long time. What questions do you have about what Micah is saying? And then, where would you take this today? You well know that I'm interested in all of this stuff, and you should be, I'll just say it flat out, you should be interested in all this stuff, partly because it's interesting history, but it's only interesting history that's dead stuff in a book unless you learn from it for today, for yourself. What are you going to do with all this? This, this uh, the book of Micah, did he write it or did someone write it having heard what he, what he preached? Yeah, good question. Good it's question. just kind of a basic. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, and that's an important question when we interpret it. Um, almost certainly all of the prophecies from the Old Testament were first preached. They were a verbal message, okay? Micah didn't have a little mimeograph machine to type stuff off and create leaflets or whatever and all that stuff. I know you know that, right? So Micah would preach. Micah would maybe go into the synagogue. Maybe he'd stand on a street corner. He would preach and he would teach. That's what all the Old Testament prophets did. At some point, somebody began to write down what they had said. And there's a lot of evidence that over time, uh, the messages of the prophets maybe were condensed. Maybe they were cleaned up a little bit. Uh, we have evidence that with Isaiah, for instance, not so much Micah. Micah's one piece. It's short. There's probably, there's at least two, maybe three different time periods that Isaiah would have been preached. And the original part of Isaiah is from the prophet Isaiah himself, but then other stuff would be added into the book. Uh, and the way that it speaks about historical events is time, things that happened long after Isaiah lived. And so we say, well, this came from someone else who was, who was preaching and prophesying in, in the, the same vein and same tradition as Isaiah. And it all got put into one book that was called Isaiah. Okay, we have all of that. That's helpful to look at when you are interpreting and trying to understand the particular historical situation from which all of these words came. Uh, at the end of the day, though, what, what you have, the, 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 the transition you have to make then is to say, okay, that's all well and good, and it informs what is being said, 
But then you ultimately have to look more at the message than the source of the message itself. Because some people will say, well, you know, Micah didn't, didn't write these words down. How do we know it's exactly what Micah said? Well, we don't know that it's exactly what Micah said. What we know is that that's the record of what Micah said. And we have to trust that in the old culture, where listening carefully was an important thing. You couldn't rely on it ever being written out for you, or even more importantly, you couldn't rely on going back and looking at the video of what happened. You had to remember it the first time. Then we trust more of the message because those who wrote it down would have heard it over and over and over again and paid attention to it. And then eventually what the church said is this is what is consistent. This is what makes sense from our understanding of our history and our understanding of God in a broader context. So the simple answer to your question, I gave you more than that, is that yes, Micah would have preached and taught and then others would have written down. And remember, the prophets are saying what we're preaching to you is what we've heard from God, right? And, and so the prophets like Micah, Micah did not have the advantage of, of, of reading the Old Testament like we do. He did not have the advantage of reading the book of Micah, for instance, to talk about what God was saying. What he was basing his prophecy on would have been the stories, the traditions told about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and the story and tradition and law of the people that would eventually be written down into Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The stories and traditions encapsulated in what we know as the book of Ecclesiastes or the Psalms. Uh, and, and taking all of that mostly oral tradition or what Micah would have heard being read in the synagogue. You know, Morasheth as a little town would have had a synagogue with, with maybe a handful of scrolls, nothing like the complete Old Testament like we would have today, right? Uh, and so that's what he has. And he has uh, inspiration from God. Micah thinks deeply, he feels deeply, he sees in the history and tradition of the people that what God wants for his people is justice, where everything is fair and good and it works for everybody. Righteousness, same thing, right? And then he held that up against what was actually going on in society and said, these are two very different things. And that's something that Micah did that we can do too, can't we? Can you read the Bible and say, this is the way it's all supposed to be and then hold up the newspaper next to it and, and see some difference in those two things? Absolutely you can. Yeah, very good question, very good point. Yeah, keep on coming down. This is a, a, um, something that my, my husband and I go back and forth over all the time. And my, my look on it is human history, as you said, just keeps repeating itself. And we don't change. We are selfish, self-centered, and we want more than others, and we want what, what we, what's ours is, what we have now is ours, and there's no more for anybody else. And so I've got what's mine and you go away. We are not living righteous and we're not justice about it. <clears throat> I don't know how God stands us sometimes, but my husband says we're getting better. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I said, I don't, I don't see where we're getting better. Sure. Okay, can you... Sure. Help me out. You're asking me to solve an argument between you and your husband? Really? You think I have the courage to go there? <laughs> that, is, that, is a, that is a big argument and big question that goes on just in general society. Are things getting worse? Are things the same? Are they getting better? 
That is a fascinating question, and I wish I'd finished the book. I haven't finished the book yet. Um, I'll talk about the book in a minute. Uh, it, well, I'll talk about it right now. Um, I can't remember the name of it. It has a blue cover, I can tell you that much. It's sitting on my shelf waiting for me. There are many ways in which society as a whole, let's talk about worldwide society, okay, with all, its, all of its complexity. There are many ways in which things are, quote, getting better, okay? There are fewer people starving and dying because of starvation in the world today than there were 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Now, with COVID and all the things that are going on, that number is beginning to go back up again. So it's not like, okay, we've finally gotten there. There are still uh, 10 or 20,000 people a day in the world who starve to death. We, we can't comprehend that. We can't get our minds wrapped around that, right? You can put, you can, the basic capacity of this room is 500 people. Okay, so divide 30,000 by 500. That's, uh, you could fill up this sanctuary 60 times, and that's how many people will die today because of starvation. But it's a lower number than it was, okay? So that's one way that we're getting better. There are fewer people dying today because of overt warfare. And now this tends to kind of go in cycles in history. Um, I know we talk a lot because of my having been in Syria about the war in Syria, the people that are killed there, the people that are killed other places. But um, last year, I don't know what the exact number was, but last year there might have been 30, 40,000 people killed in, in acts of war, okay? That number could be as low as 10, it could be higher, but that, that's just for sake of comparison. Well, during World War II, and the things around World War II, during around the six or seven years that comprised World War II, 70 million people died. Most of those were not the result of direct warfare. Most of those were indirect causes like starvation or Holocaust or other things. And so the number of people dying today because of warfare is a lot less than it was, okay? In, let's go back to, to Micah's time, all right? In Micah's time, there was no such thing uh, as what we would understand as human rights or civil rights. It was hardly even a concept then in, in the most advanced societies, okay? We have that concept now, partly because of its origins in the law that, that God gave uh, to, to Moses, okay? That's where it all starts. That's what we would say from a Western perspective. But now in, in much of the world, we have the concept that every single human being is owed certain things, that they should have certain things. They should have enough to eat. They should have respect as a human being. They should be considered, their life should be considered valuable and sacred, okay? Um, that did not exist very much in, in the, the Old Testament world. Um, people thought nothing of just killing other people. Um, that wasn't everywhere, but that was a lot of places. We have a situation in the world today where, I, and this one I just can't begin to understand, where women are considered to be equal to men. That wasn't the case, and still is not the case in a lot of societies, but it exists in our world today. And part of the battle, this is one of the reasons we have so much angst over Afghanistan, 
Part of the battle is in those places that seem to be going backwards or seem not to have made that leap from several hundred years ago uh, to consider women as equal to men, okay? Or children as equal to adults. It was just two, three hundred years ago in this country, in modern Western democracies, that children began to be understood and appreciated and valued for their equality as real life human beings already. And then, of course, we have to talk about slavery, right? I mean, that, that's one of the sources of, of slavery that happened in this country as we looked at people of a certain race and said they're not really quite human being or they're a lower level of human being, right? We at least have modern Western democracies, and, and not just in the West, but, but places that say all human beings, regardless of whatever their racial, ethnic, historical, biographical, genetic origin is, all human beings are human beings, period, okay? In, in much of the ancient world and much of, of the, the rest of the world today, that thought doesn't apply. So in some ways, yes, the world is getting better and better. Now, in other ways, of course, it's not, right? Do we still have corrupt political leaders? Yes. Do we still have corrupt religious leaders? Yes. Do we still have war? Yes. Do we, you can go down that long list and we still have all of those things and we fight against all of those things. And just because things are better today doesn't mean they're always going to be better. But generally speaking, there is more good news in the world today than there, than there would have been a thousand years ago, two thousand years ago. And so, I, I, if you'll remind me, somebody please remind me, I'll, I'll send the name of the book to you. This, it's, it's a social scientist dem demographer guy that's looked at all these incredibly boring statistics and tables and things uh, of, of what goes on in the real world. And he said, look, we can do better. We can be better. And part of that has to be traced to the Judeo-Christian heritage and the growth of the church. Now, I know plenty of people want to talk about all the ways that the church, the Christian church has failed, and we certainly have. But an awful lot of the source of the idea of human's rights and women's rights and a lot of the source of the idea that everybody should be equal in the eyes of the law, all of that has deep rootage in our religious tradition that goes all the way back to the beginning. In the beginning, God created human beings in his image. Male and female, he created them as equal. That's where it all goes back to. So that's a big argument in society. Some people will say that religion has nothing to do with it, that religion has been the enemy of, of any advances in society. And that's a, that's a deep historical and theological conversation. That usually comes from people who don't believe in God to begin with, but uh, that's where that conversation is. So I, I would say, to settle the argument between you and your husband, you're both right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what else is in your heads? I, we were in... Uh... Illinois and Iowa for over Christmas seeing family and friends and my sister-in-law said that she was filling out a form and it asked for her race mm -hmm. and she put human. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fill out the form. It asks for your race. You put down human. Yeah. I, 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 this begins to get, but like I said, the only things worth talking about are religion and politics. I, I think we will have arrived when we don't ask for a person's race because it's completely inconsequential right? The only place that your race might have some consequence is that in, from the, the perspective of medical science, 
we understand that certain racial groups, and this is true of all racial groups, have a greater propensity to certain kinds of diseases or problems, okay? That's just purely a medical thing. But I, I, I refuse to fill out that section of a form when it asks for my race because I'm part gringo, I'm part Mexican, I'm part Indian, okay? And I can't sort out which parts are which. And so don't ask me what my race is. If we have gotten there, that's not an important question. Don't ask me what my age is, even though age is important, right? I've, I've heard that as people get older, they start having you know, more medical problems. Um, I have no medical problems whatsoever because I'm still 20. But uh, <laughs> so anyhow, thank you for that, yeah. Okay, I hope this gives you some food for thought and something to discuss, right? as we go forward with this. Let's pray. God, thanks for being with us this morning. Help us to hear the message that you preached through the words of Micah, a message not just about problems back then, but problems here and now. Help us to hear how we are part of the problem and how we can be part of the solution. Help us to look closely at those areas in our own lives where we are experiencing justice and righteousness and where we are not and then what we can do about it with your forgiveness, with your leadership, with your inspiration. Bless us in all of that today and help us to make this world a little bit better because you love it and because we love it. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all.